Welcome to Girls Camp. I'm your host, Haley Rawl, and I am joined by a very special guest, the first reoccurring guest on the podcast, my husband, Mr. John Bentley Rawl. Howdy, partners. That's me. Welcome back, Bentley. You excited? Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. You excited to be back? You've been begging to be I've been back on the podcast. And doing all the dishes, just trying to, you know, prove myself <laughs> I to wish. you so you could just invite me back. Well, I guess it worked because here you are. Um, in full transparency, we did just get in a little bit of a fight. Not even a fight. There's a little frustration this morning. We had a lot to do. We're preparing for a trip tomorrow. But I think we're good. So hopefully the, vi- <laughs> the vibes are high. <laughs> I asked her, I was like, hey, can I smoke a joint before we do this interview? And she said, no, I need you sharp. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, do you want goofy or do you want sharp? I think he smoked a joint before boys camp, right? I th- the one with Judd and Kellen. I think I took an edible, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you were. I mean. I also wasn't really talking much on boys camp. Yeah, that's true. I was kind of leaving space for Callan and and Judd to Judd. share yes if anyone is curious about your story specifically we are not going to get into your story in detail but you have been on post-mormon marriage therapy with just you and I and you get into your full story if anyone is new listening and wants that background and then you also were on boys camp so you are a third time guest Lucky me. Hell yeah. Third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. Let's see if I, uh, you know. It's your time to shine. If there's an uptick in viewers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Um, Today, you and I are talking about what I'm calling post-Mormon starter pack, which is just kind of basics of post-Mormonism, our advice, our must-haves, our must-dos, the uh, post-Mormon pipeline, if you will, kind of the steps of post-Mormonism. And we have a lot of fun write-ins to react to. Can't wait. Before we get into it, you and I actually have some things to catch up on that we've been saving for the podcast. That's right. The first thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that there has been a big uptick in never Mormons listening to the podcast. Welcome. Welcome to the never Mormons. I want to talk about this because I've been DMing some nevermos. Also, the term never Mormon is what I guess that's what just like ex Mormons, post Mormons call people who have never been Mormon. Mm-hmm. So nevermos is the name. But I've just been talking to some nevermos, and I find it so special and so validating that there are people who have never been Mormon that are listening to girls camp and that are invested in the post-Mormon space. I think it's super validating because it feels like our experiences as post-Mormons not only are maybe resonating on a wider scale, but also just that people care. I think it's really nice. That's really special, actually. I think there's an element of never Mormons listening where there's this investment and they care and they're validating. It's really validating. Like we just did the Trek episode and a lot of people were like, what the hell? Because if you're not even Mormon and you're hearing about Trek, it's like particularly crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're probably like mind blown at what's going on, what we all grew up with, but also you're, (laughs) you probably feel a little bit, um, 
of sympathy or empathy for <laughs> for us for the traumatic for the part tra- of it yeah which is probably i mean uh, i mean i loved that 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 tv show or series on orthodox about the the hasidic jew leaving her oh yeah her, leaving leaving her religious her community. religious community and that was such an interesting thing so i'm assuming i'm imagining that that's probably what is interesting what draws what people. draws people to I know. I think there's, I was just going to say, there's part of it where I think there's like a sympathy and this validation of experience. And then I think it's just utterly fascinating and shocking and mind blowing for people who don't even know that much about Mormonism or even who do, but weren't part of it to be learning even more about Mormonism from a post-Mormon perspective. It's almost like a true crime show (laughs) because of how crazy it is. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, Never Mormons, welcome. So happy you're here. I want to do a Mormonism 101 episode where we get more into like introducing Mormonism, post-Mormonism to Never Mormons. So stay tuned for that. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the fact that I went through the Saratoga Springs Temple open house with my mom and sisters while you were gone in LA this week. Yeah, honestly, I I'm surprised we haven't even really talked about this at all. You came home. I remember I like literally came home from my trip, and you you came you like were just coming from the, the open house, and you walked in in a dress, and I was like, felt weird because the dress that you were wearing was probably one that we, you used to wear at a church, and I was like, this feels a little weird. Yeah, I was in a church looking outfit. And honestly, I'm kind of impressed that you're at a place where you feel. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you felt triggered. I'm, I'm excited to hear how I felt about how you felt. Yeah. Would you have gone? Yeah, I for sure would have gone. I think it's, I mean, with my family, it would have felt a little weird. You went Mm. with your mom and sisters and Mm -hmm. like that, that would feel a little weird to me, but, um, you're different. So you, yeah. With my family, with your family. Yeah, my mom and sisters were going to go. You were out of town. I was just like looking for something to do. (laughs) And you took the girls. And I took the girls. Honestly, babies are a fantastic buffer for any experience, especially when it's twins. But yeah, they asked me to go and I realized I kind of wanted to go. I think for me, obviously we got married in a temple. We've, the temple was a big part of our faith for such a long time. And for me, I kind of felt like I wanted to, see how I felt and see what came up for me and see maybe even more than that what my perception of the temple would be now yeah for those of you who don't know when a temple opens anyone can go through they have like ushers it's kind of like a walkthrough type situation and it's not like dedicated yet so it's not there's no temple work going on and you know you don't need to like you don't and, need to have yeah, a I guess for those who don't know about temples, you have to kind of go through an extensive vetting process to mm-hmm. see if you're worthy to go enter the temple. And there are certain requirements. Yeah. And, and so this is one of the only chances for no, non-Mormons or not worthy Mormons to go and see what the temple looks like on the inside. So we're not going to go back to the temple. I mean, never say never, (laughs) but we're probably not going to get a temple recommend. (laughs) Unless they start letting in gay marriage into the temple. I'm just kidding. Not really. They probably won't. Yeah. I mean, we won't be going back to the temple with temple recommends. So anyway, I went through, 
that there was two things I will speak to. The first thing was they take you to a chapel that's kind of connected to the temple, like in the same parking lot. And they showed a temple video, like intro video. And that was the part I disliked the most. The video just felt very, very strategic. They had people on, couples on who had like one couple was talking about losing their child. Their child had died and like how happy they were that they could have an eternal family by being sealed in the temple and just kind of those types of stories. And that felt to me pretty icky just because it felt manipulative and maybe not even manipulative, but it felt like a sales pitch. Like, okay, what's going to be the most compelling thing for non-Mormons to like be interested in the temple? Oh, well, let's tell them that if they have family members who died, they'll get to be with them forever, but only through the temple, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's tricky because I, I mean, I kind of want to talk about that for one second. I feel like the idea of an eternal family and the way that the church um, has framed it kind of robs people, I feel, from actually grieving. Mm. And actually being able to mourn mm. um, the death of a family member because they are kind of given this this hope or, I mean, some might say a false hope in like in a ter- like seeing that person again. I don't know. They, they just aren't able to really face those emotions and, and really grieve. Though, like, I think that they're <laughs> good intended in like the idea of an internal family and like... Uh, the temple to and covenants to like provide that but i don't know i i feel like sad for those who i almost feel like it's a band-aid mm. you know i know it's tricky i i kind of hesitate to speak to this just because i haven't had a family member die or really anyone super close to me so i just never want to judge anyone for what they hope for you know that's true in such a and i don't feel like you were but where i'm coming from that's kind of how i feel but I absolutely do think that it's so important, even if you believe whatever you believe about an afterlife or seeing your family again, I do think it's tricky to say, oh yeah, they died, but they're in a better place and we'll all be together again and not allow for that grief to really run its course, which I think, yeah, psychologically speaking is just healthier. And I think to use that as like a selling point of Mormonism and for temples. Totally. I just don't like it. It feels, it feels again, just kind of like a weird sales thing to prey on like the most vulnerable, devastating thing for people. Yeah. And I will say like, I think that an eternal family is a beautiful idea. Yeah. We all want that. And, and I'm, I'm actually not even like, as I've kind of transition my faith out of like a Christian belief system, I actually have kind of come full circle and kind of believe that there is some sort of, uh, of an afterlife, but in a very different way. And Mm. then I had imagined basically I do see the, the beauties of, of what they're teaching and yeah, why people would be why people would want that and be attracted to that. And I think once you've been in Mormonism and you know everything else that comes with it, that was the biggest thing for me. I've been Mormon. I know all the things that come with Mormonism, but it felt like they were using this one kind of selling point, at least that stuck out to me. Yeah. I watched that with my family. The babies were kind of distracting us. 
one thing that struck me as well was how nice everybody was there. Not even necessarily like the ushers, but just the other people walking through the temple who I assume were mostly Mormon were just really sweet. And like, of course, everyone's so nice about the babies. I felt really comfortable to have kids in that setting. Like the girls were kind of crying or like poking people. And I was just like, oh, Mormons get it. Mormons understand. Did you feel like it was genuine? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, there wasn't like any major interactions really, but I feel like everyone felt friendly and it felt, there felt like a familiarity and a comfort in being around that community, I think. And then we walked through the temple and it was actually so interesting. I kind of want you to do it. Like you could even go by yourself. It would be interesting. It's almost like you are seeing backstage at a play and like the illusion is gone. Like I used to go in the temple and feel the spirit and it felt like this warm, clean space and walking through it felt so sterile and so quiet. Like all those things that had made me feel like it was a spiritual place before, the whiteness, the brightness, the silence all of a sudden felt like a sterile hospital almost Mm -hmm. and just felt like there was no meaning behind it. It was just this big, expensive building that's interesting because i almost feel like we create our own meaning yeah for things yeah right we consider certain things holy like i have this the strand of beads that i got in like ghana that i used in my psychedelic psychedelic um, ceremony mm. and i you put it on the altar all of a sudden that has meaning for me now mm. and i have a connection to this thing and like mm. a story behind that thing and like i put place it on my desk and i look at it and like now there's meaning to it that like there's some sort of spiritual there's a story story yeah, like a attached story. to it yeah that that kind of is grounding and it's actually interesting you say that because like now that that story isn't there for you that is the the temple no longer has that, that yeah. deeper meaning yeah it just was like a building And then the only weirdness or maybe triggering thing I felt was just, again, kind of that strategic, salesy, almost businessy aspect of feeling like they're putting out this front maybe. And it's not even a front, but like when you walk into the rooms, the ushers would share like in this room and they were speaking like this. They had like a script, the ushers, and they were like in this room is where you can be sealed for time and all eternity, like speaking in that voice. And that just felt kind of freaky Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and elder voice because it was like couples, young couples Mm -hmm. also on a Tuesday at like four. I was like, do you guys not work? (laughs) Like imagine going and volunteering at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday at the temple. That reminds me of my grandparents. Pretty sure my grandpa still goes. I don't know how many times a week, but at least two or two. Yeah, to work. To go at 4 a.m. to work in the temple for like to do a shift. Yeah. I'm just like, man, like dedication this guy takes off like probably time and work and just his whole schedule to like do this it's it's pretty beautiful that he's dedicated that much to this in a way you know yeah yeah it was interesting to see I just felt like more than anything it always kind of feels surprising to me that so many people are still participating (laughs) (laughs) just because in our circles it's not that way anymore and just being around people who were just like oh let's go see this beautiful temple like this is such a cool thing And watching it as an outsider now who was an insider and just feeling so different was really fascinating. But I'm glad I went because I think it actually gave me some really nice closure. I think there's maybe always this like secret 
not secret, but there's this inner voice that's like, well, if you just read your scriptures again, if you just went to the temple, you would feel it like you would know the spirit would be there or whatever would be there. And just to go and be in the temple, but realize, no, like nothing's here for me anymore Mm -hmm. was a nice bit of closure. I don't know. I think there's value in some ways, depending where you're at in your journey and still being able to participate in ways that feel okay and I was kind of glad to be able to accept the invitation for my family and just go it was also kind of cool to take our babies because that's where we got married was Mm -hmm. in a temple they'll never see that unless it's an open house you know yeah I don't even remember the last time I went to the temple I know I don't remember the last time we went either long time ago yeah it's been a long five four or five years probably But yeah, that was my temple experience. So if anyone wants to go through the temple, I don't know how much longer the Saratoga Springs open house is open, but go check it out if you're in the area. But it very well could be triggering. So obviously massive trigger warning. Okay, let's talk about the steps of post-Mormonism. So this is what we think are, you know how you always joke about like the classic steps of, oh, you know, every single post-Mormon gets a tattoo at some point, like stuff like that. So before I read the submissions, I want to hear what do you think, not the ones you took, but what would you say are the typical steps of post-Mormonism that like all post-Mormons go through? Like what order do people, do most post-Mormons do things? Oh, first off, they start to say their first swear words. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they try coffee at this point. Maybe they look at porn. (laughs) (laughs) if you're a guy um women look at porn too yeah but that might not be in this order for women for women okay so you're saying swearing trying coffee porn (laughs) (laughs) what's next um either i i would probably say a drink of alcohol and then weed and then the slippery slope of cocaine i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) Then an opiate addiction. Then an opiate addiction. And then um, rehab. <laughs> then you're an addict. And then um, you go clean. And then you actually get rebaptized. <laughs> and start at square and, one. <laughs> yeah, start at square one. It's a circle of post Mormonism. Okay, so you no. would say, I think I disagree on some of these. You would say swearing, coffee, porn, <laughs> um, alcohol, weed. Yeah. What about when do people take off their garments? Oh. Yeah, that's, I didn't even think about that. I mean, they first take their top off and leave the bottoms <laughs> before they even try to drink alcohol or weed or even maybe that's in the moment when they start to swear. Shout out to our friend. She'll know who she is, but she wore just her garment bottoms for like a year. She like took the top off and just wore the bottoms like that, literally yeah. half in, half out, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. I mean, I did that probably for two years. You won't, oh yeah, I, I wore the bottoms that. for just. I mean, partial at this point it was laziness, just because I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't. You didn't, you didn't want to buy new underwear. I mean, frankly, I still am like kind of struggling trying to find my underwear. Um, you so, liked the garment bottoms. Oh, you they liked were comfy. the fit. You liked they the comfortability. Comfy. I didn't love the top because it was always popping out of my shirts, you know. So yeah. that that was an easy, easy thing to let go. That was like before I even knew I didn't want to be Mormon anymore. <laughs> Yeah, you're just over the I was like, oh, I'm going to be a progressive Mormon and I'm just going to not going to wear Just a bottoms only. A bottoms only (laughs) and then long hair and maybe an earring. Oh, yeah. An earring was part of your post-Mormon step. 
Okay, I'm just going to tell my steps. This is what I think most post-Mormons do. I think most post-Mormons, the first step before actually doing anything is oftentimes CES letter, Um. maybe Mormon stories. Then I think coffee. Then I think garments come off. Then I think weed and alcohol. I think that's, you just kind of painted like, I kind of like got sent back to the first time I drank coffee. And I remember hating the taste, but I was like, no, I have to learn to like this. But I remember feeling guilty and it was, uh, I think I was wearing my garments and at least my garment bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why don't you start at the beginning of your post-Mormon journey? Okay. What uh, was the first thing you did? Do you feel like? So in my journey, I remember like having feelings and that obviously that that's like where I think it all starts It like you start to have doubts or like find inconsistencies at, in your own like study yeah just trying, like dissonance yeah, yeah dissonance you're trying to you're not necessarily trying to prove it wrong you're just like oh like this doesn't like this isn't all lining up so i remember like in that moment i was like oh i'm gonna be i'm gonna try to live this better and so i started to think okay how do i live the word of war wisdom more fully and then that's when i was like oh i'm gonna drink coffee instead of um an energy drink <laughs> what no it's just funny i get what you're saying but to clarify you were more saying because the word of wisdom as interpreted by modern day prophets says literally no coffee your point was okay i feel like the principle of the word of wisdom is good to be healthy i feel like coffee is healthier than energy drinks i'm drinking energy drinks i'm gonna try coffee instead right yes exactly and so like that's kind of where my my first step was because I was trying to live it, live a cleaner, happier, healthier life, mm-hmm. and coffee was cleaner, happier, healthier mm-hmm. than energy drinks. And so I remember like walking around the corner from our house in San Francisco, walking to Blue Bottle Coffee that was a block away, ordering uh, just a black coffee. I don't know why I didn't get a latte, mm. but I or it was a it. Cold, it was a cold brew. I remember drinking. I was like. Ah. Uh, and I had to like really like force it down, but I remember feeling guilty and like the guilt would still set in uh, on these stages. And I remember I was still feeling guilty until actually, um, I, our friend came into town, Zach, and he told us about a letter to my wife. And I read that that night we both did separately laying in our bed and, kind of like a switch happened in my brain. I was like, oh, I no longer need to be guilty, feel guilty mm-hmm. about any of this. And I slowly started to... Actually, did did we try marijuana before that? I think it was after. Because did Jackie come into town? Yeah. Jackie and Zach? So it was after. So it was after. So Zach introduced us to Letter to My Wife. That was literally... I haven't read the CES letter. I haven't read anything else, frankly. Yeah, besides Letter to besides My Wife. Besides Letter to My Wife. That was my the turning point for me. Yeah. And I all of a sudden was like, yeah, I'm just going to do me. Yeah. And um, I slowly started to, to... Then we tried like an edible for the first time and with... Jackie and Zach are good friends. And then after the next step for, for me was trying alcohol. And I was like nervous to try it. And you, I wasn't sure that. I was really weird around alcohol. You were really weird around mm-hmm. alcohol because of your personal experience. Yeah. And alcoholism uh, in my family. Yes. And so I didn't necessarily really want to do it around you or even tell you. But you were out of town. And I was like, and I had nothing to do one, one night. <laughs> 
So I walked to the corner store, um, Mayflower Market, and in San Francisco on Fillmore, across the street from Blue Bottle Coffee. This was like, <laughs> they literally are neighboring the st- stores. The street of sin The street of for sin you. for me. And I walked in and um, grabbed a bottle of rosé. Um, rosé was your first. And a uh, white claw. And <laughs> Hell yeah. Maybe one other thing. And then I took it home. I took a sip of rosé. It was like, yuck. And then I drank half the can of white claw and i set it down and i didn't even like feel buzzed and uh, i was like oh that's alcohol <laughs> and that that was the pretty anticlimactic yeah it was pretty anticlimactic i was like yeah uh, all right well i did that yeah we didn't really drink that much no let me read this submission i thought was so funny to compare our steps of post-mormonism to this person said hot take coffee first garments off next and then alcohol any other order is unhinged (laughs) (laughs) but this made me laugh so hard because i didn't even try coffee my first non-word of wisdom substance was an edible i did garments first an edible so weed and then it took me like two years to try alcohol when when did you try alcohol for the first time i can't remember i wish i wrote it down i wish i took was it in vegas oh maybe with Jed and Carly? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if we should be outing everyone by name. <laughs> I'm sure they're fine. But <laughs> anyway, so my order was unhinged according to this person. You know, it's funny. It's really different for people. Like, it's interesting too. We've talked about this a lot. But to compare like the ideological shifts, which you were just talking about, and then the actual behavioral shifts. Mm-hmm. So like you drink coffee before you actually had the whole paradigm shift, like, oh, the church probably isn't true, but you drink coffee. And I don't think either of us were fully out. Well, I know we weren't fully out of the church by the time we tried weed. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny. Well, I mean, we were also kind of going for community when we were in San Francisco. Yeah, we were kind of aware that that was why we were going. But I think a lot of people have very different, like some people have to really know, like the church is not true before they start doing anything, quote, post-Mormon. But a lot of people I think are like us where it's like, oh yeah, like I'm Mormon, but I drink coffee. And then you start doing more history, more research, and then those fall away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you kind of made a good point. Okay, in a general sense, I think it's, Garments, you pro- I mean, you pop the top off, and then you, word of wisdom, you start exploring that. What's next, typically, after the word of wisdom? Like, that's a general thing. You can start to explore. Is there anything else that you, like, that people, like, mentioned that they tried? Yeah, let's read, let's read some the of these. The law of chastity. A lot of these I are, like, what happens after you actually leave Mormonism. So, like, the once you've left Mormonism, what do you do? A lot of people said get tattoos, which we have both done. Yeah. Both are butterflies. Both are butterflies. Yeah. I do think getting a tattoo is a really cool thing to do as a post-Mormon. It's very kind of challenging. I was listening to this podcast. So my friend Ash May interviewed my friend Tanner Williams on a podcast. Something they talked about is intentionally doing things that your Mormon brain would be so uncomfortable doing. Like kind of pushing yourself a little bit to almost like 
force yourself to break out of some of those Mormon thinking patterns. And I think getting a tattoo was huge for me in that because I was really nervous about it. I had all this conditioning around my body needs to be clean and sacred and all that kind of shit. And also just the cultural aspect of, oh, once you get tattoos, you look trashy. Or if you get tattoos, it's hard to get a job. So for me, getting a tattoo that I felt really excited about and I felt really attached to the message of my tattoo, actually just kind of taking the leap and getting it, I think helped me shed some of that more quickly. You know what I mean? Totally. I I think, yeah, the outward um, signs... I think are huge. I was even just in LA on that, on that work trip. I was golfing with some Nevermos and mm. uh, we were, Jed and I were giving some context and <laughs> about, about everything to them. And Jed looked, pointed me, I was, this is kind of a no, no on the golf course, but I was wearing a tank top cause you're supposed to wear a collared shirt. Yeah. 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 And Jed was like, yeah, dude, like Bentley, if you were Mormon, like you'd look at Bentley and you'd be like immediately judging. Cause he's like, Oh shoot. Like, He's not wearing his garments. He's wearing a tank top and he has an earring. Yeah. And he's clearly fallen off the 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 path. And they were mind blown. They're like, what? It was just kind of interesting because I was like, wow, yeah. Like being able to step into that zone. Okay, drinking alcohol, coffee, doing the, the things with the word of wisdom, even the law of chastity. No, that's not obvious to anyone that you're not living that way. Yeah, that, true. those laws. But the moment you start to have tattoos, wear clothing that don't that couldn't work with garments, mm-hmm. all of a sudden like you're out. Yeah. And you're visible and everyone can see. Yeah. I know for me and I think for you too, we want to look like we're out <laughs> because we live in Utah and it's almost like the opposite a virtue signaling where it's like, you can see I have an, a tattoo. You can see I'm wearing a tank top. So hopefully you're not going to ask mm. me like what ward I'm in. Oh, for sure. You know, in fact, I feel, I would say like want is part of it, but I feel, I felt like I need that. Mm. I like, I still though feel like a little uncomfortable. Like I, like I just was over at an old friend's house around his family last night. And Last time I was over at their house, I was an active Mormon and around their family. And I walked in, I had a tank top and I had my earring. And I just like walked in and I was nervous of like what they would say. Mm-hmm. They didn't say anything because I kind of got it out of the way. I was like, I, I just pointed, I just like said it out. Mm. Or I don't know why I felt the need to even say it. Though. Yeah. What did you say? I, I left just, the church. <laughs> I was like, well, later we ended up talking about like, me leaving after we had dinner at, mm. or whatever we were filming and then they had dinner for us and and we talked about it a little bit i just felt like i needed to get it out of the way <laughs> and i kind of i still i guess obviously have some deconstruction to do to like feel comfortable around old people old relationships that yeah i mean i'm a little nervous to even go to our, our family reunion over the fourth yeah. just because i'm like man are people do I need to say something? Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's kind of like an elephant in the room. It's less that I, at this point, that I care. I literally couldn't care less to just wear what I want and do what I want to do. Yeah. But it's kind of an elephant in the room where it's like, <clears throat> do we need to acknowledge that I'm obviously not Mormon anymore? I can totally see that for sure. But yeah, I think a lot of people wrote in, a lot of people wrote in about piercings, getting piercings, getting like 
nose piercings, getting, you got your ear pierced, getting tattoos was a big one. A lot of people binged Mormon stories, like hardcore Mormon stories binge phase. We never had our Mormon stories binge phase, but that's, that's kind of a, a post-Mormon, you know, milestone is the Mormon stories binge phase. And I'm sad we, I'm kind of sad we missed it. Our attention spans are Uh, too. I got another binge that we did. Game of Thrones. (laughs) honestly true yeah that was like oh that's a good point that is a good game of thrones or like oh that was like the great and spacious building we weren't allowed to watch like we were like we had been told it was porn we had been told how awful it was and we're like (laughs) we're gonna fucking watch game of thrones and it's phenomenal it was the best i wish we could go go back and watch it for the first time again you know what that's so funny because i forgot when we watched that that was really groundbreaking for us like the level of content of like sexual content and even like language someone actually wrote in one of their things they said they said super spicy tv shows (laughs) (laughs) and it's that's kind of how it felt it was like oh this is like a conscious thing that we're gonna watch this content and like rated our movies i guess that is the very first thing that Mm. like went out the door for me but we are always pretty chill about that and i feel like your family is too kind of don't you Uh, yeah but like not in the way that like not the kind of rated our we were watching no i mean like i mean your family right like oh like i like suggested watching like I always watched Rated R. Yeah, I guess for me, that was one of the first. And yeah, to Rated R movies, I think there were, you're right, because with Rated R movies, I would like read the parents guide and I'd be like, how much sex is in this? And that, that actually was a really huge deal. But that happened while we were Mormons still. Do you guys remember VidAngel? (laughs) That's when it all started. That angel is, it's Mormon run, right? Oh yeah. Where they edit out content from like rated our movies so you can still watch them yeah i'm pretty sure they're still going through <laughs> that's a lawsuit. very mormon core yeah Vid angel Vid angel was the best and before that it was clear play uh-huh yeah anyways we took a little break because the leaf blowers are leaf blowing the humans are <laughs> using the leaf blowers to leaf blow and you can still probably hear it so sorry but the human leaf blowers the babies only sleep for so long so Bear with a little tiny white noise drone in the background. Okay, let's read a couple more uh, post-Mormon steps of post-Mormonism submissions. (laughs) Someone said, LOL, not me, but everyone around me. Coffee, tattoos, alcohol, astrology, swinging slash polyamory. I wonder how much of that is, how much of the experience of leaving as a single person versus a married person, Mm. how, how much that is affected because obviously it's a much bigger bigger much bigger consequences stepping into like the law of chastity it's just a much heavier more difficult thing to navigate as a married person just very very different yeah because like you kind of made big huge decisions that you really it's not easy to backpedal yeah you've made commitments you've you're married so yeah the swinging polyamory thing which we talk about in post-mormon marriage therapy episode but that is interesting because someone wrote in premarital sex as a step of post-mormonism but that sex stuff was super different for us because we were already married so Mm -hmm. we couldn't have premarital sex but i think for some people the premarital sex equivalent maybe is polyamory or swinging but it obviously comes with very different consequences and not even consequences. It's just, I think, probably 
a more complicated situation. Oh, hundred percent. Cause, but I do think that whatever they're saying is, is valid. I think the next step probably at that point is having, having sex, premarital sex. Or yeah. If you're single, if you're single or yeah, if you're dating or, or whatever, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I've said it once. I'll say it again. I think the swinging polyamory thing is, uh, not even a loophole because a lot of post Mormon couples want to try that out because they're trying to reclaim something that they were never able to do. And then they're married and they never had sex with, you know, people beside their partner. And that's something they kind of want to do and want to try as a step of post-Mormonism, but they feel like they can't because they're married. So that's kind of like the way to do that or explore that, which we've talked about. We can understand. I think we've decided that's not going to be best for us, but I think we can relate with a lot of those feelings, or at least I can. I'll speak for myself first. For sure. And I feel like there is some grieving, some very valid grieving around the fact that I never had sex with anyone else and that we didn't get to experience like a normal kind of dating experience of being able to have sex with people, of having just fun recreational sex if we wanted to. And I think that's something that we've both had to kind of think through and process and we've done that with each other as well kind of some of that processing yeah for sure it's so interesting to to like be able to as i talk to like nevermos mm-hmm. about like the experience of leaving mormonism and like us telling him and then they ask like oh wait so you didn't have a drink of alcohol until you were like 25 or whatever and i was like yeah i, I, I did it they're like man you probably saved yourself some trouble Mm. In a lot of ways, I, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the the decisions I've I, I I made because I like as a grown adult was making educated like smart decisions and wasn't being like I don't know making potential bad ones as like a underaged um, kid, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like. You can't live in the past. You can't like live in the future. Even you just got to live in the present and yeah. just do what's right and like accept, accept that this is your new reality. And yeah. it's exciting. You know, it's exciting to explore these new things. And as an adult, because it's like you're a kid again, and you are realizing that the consequences aren't really nearly as um, <laughs> they like don't exist. They don't <laughs> exist at all. I'm so glad you said that because when we took a break because of the leaf blower. I was just reading a DM from someone and she was kind of telling me her post-Mormon story. And she said, basically her and her partner, she said, we just realized like we get to live our lives the way we want to. And I was just struck by that point you just made of it's not a big deal. We're talking about literally drinking coffee. We're talking about wearing tank tops. And yes, in one breath, it is a big deal because we were taught to never do those things. They were evil, terrible, gonna make us not be with our families forever. But it's so funny to think about what a big deal it is to literally try coffee, a drink, just a simple drink. (laughs) That the rest of the world Zero consequences. Zero consequences. Wearing a tank top. Zero consequences. Zero. I mean, the consequences. The consequences are emotional. And, yes. Good point. Um, and navigating the the relationships 
and the people the that, fallout the fallout yes and that those are the consequences good point there's guilt and shame that you have to yeah. work through and then there's oh if i wear a tank top if someone sees me drinking coffee then there's consequences of people seeing that who still think that these things are bad evil things but it's so interesting to think about it that way of like Totally. Again, for never Mormons listening, it's like, how on earth could there be so much drama mm-hmm. about wearing a tank top and drinking a cup of coffee? Yeah. Like, what the hell is the big deal? It, it kind of goes back to my my point about the temple, about we create meaning. Yeah. By, by, and for better, for worse. Yeah. And the Mormon church is really good at putting a lot of meaning in things that when you leave it, you realize those are just really trivial, inconsequential things. Yeah. But at the same time... I don't know. I say that, but at the same time, yes, I do still think that. But I think about you. You love coffee now. You make coffee every single morning. It's so much a ritual for you. You've loved learning about coffee, different types of coffee, different coffee beans. And that's a big deal that you can access that little world of coffee that for no damn good reason you were not allowed to do before. So in a way it is a big deal. And that's how I kind of feel more than anything for me. It's around clothing. Like, no, it is a big deal that I get to wear a tank top. And I think on the same, in the same kind of vein, people can, even post-Mormons can discount each other. Like, oh, like, why are we making such a big deal out of these things? And it's like, because we couldn't do them and now we're doing them and it's empowering and it's, nice like it's a special thing for you that you get to drink coffee it's a special thing for me that I get to wear tank tops and that's well worth celebrating and understanding that even though drinking coffee might not be a big deal either way you can let it be a big deal that you now get to do that do you know what I'm saying for sure and it's it's something to be celebrated I think now it's uh sure I might be behind the the masses we might be behind the masses of like the normal world of how like people have experienced things and coming of age. I mean, this is a big moment coming of age for, for post Mormons. We get to experience new things and it's a beautiful thing. So if you haven't yet experimented with, um, with any of this, I think that's fine. But just remember that this is an exciting time of life. Go have some fun. Yeah. It's exciting to learn about how you feel about these things and learn that that you're in control too yeah like that that you're not going to you're not a bad person and that you you are in control this is your life yeah and this is i mean one one big takeaway for me recently in my life is that i've been realizing no this is my life i get to do whatever i want to do with my life that doesn't mean scrapping it all and restarting but I now get to make my life the life that I want it to be yeah and I think the thing that even as you're saying that I shouldn't even have to disclaim this because you wouldn't do this but people might be thinking oh well so you're just gonna fuck everyone over if it's your life you know you're just gonna do whatever you want and I think that's a Mormon conditioning thing but I love what you said preceding that thought which is if no one's told you, whoever's listening, you are a mature, rational, smart adult who knows yourself better than the Mormon church ever could. You know, you know yourself and it is your life and you get to do what is best for you. And so much of these steps of post-Mormonism are about exploring that and practicing that and 
really gaining bit by bit empowerment in knowing I'm doing what's best for me and I can figure that out and I'm going to make good, mature, smart decisions, even though I've been told my whole life that if I don't do it the Mormon way, then everything's going to go to shit and I'm going to fuck everyone over and my life is going to be ruined, you know? Yeah. And that's the conditioning that we're fighting against when we have a sip of coffee or wear, uh, you know, short shorts out and about. There's so much to get into here. There's so much behind just these small little things. Even reading the CES letter, that's going against every little ounce of conditioning that we've been told since we were kids, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal to be brave enough to do that if you feel like you want to do that. Okay, let's transition to talking about, we've already kind of touched on this along the way, but our post-Mormon must-haves or must-dos. So one that I said, I kind of mentioned this earlier, is getting a tattoo. Obviously, don't get a tattoo unless you're ready and you want to. Don't go, obviously, run and get a tattoo. I think for me, if you do feel an inclination to get a tattoo and you want to, for sure do it. For me, that was a big step in like reclaiming my body, reclaiming my autonomy. So that is one of mine. I would go try everything that you feel comfortable trying right now. You know, you don't have to do it right away, but I would just go try Take baby steps and like an experiment because I think that's you're starting the journey of discovering who you really are and how you feel about certain things. Whereas before you were being told how to mm -hmm. feel. And so go order a coffee. Probably don't order a black coffee. <laughs> Just what that's a that's a good one. What coffee would you recommend if someone wants to try coffee? Yeah, go to go to Starbucks and get a a brown sugar shaken espresso. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. That's just a delicious. Sugary. Sugary drink. I still get it sometimes just because I just like love the flavor. Yeah. If you want a little segue into the coffee world, go go get one that tastes good. And you'll get, you'll start to understand like what things, what what's good, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I would go get a shaking a black brown sugar shaking espresso i don't like the toasted marshmallow one from from starbucks that one's not the flavor profile that i like do people love that one I've never i have no idea one. what people like and don't like but like i why do you mention that one just because i got it the other day oh. at, the, at the airport <laughs> I and i was it. i literally three days ago i was like oh, dang it i wish i got the brown sugar one i uh, thought that was like a thing that postmormons no. do is get the toast no it's just not the flavor profile you'll want i promise get the brown sugar one brown sugar not toasted marshmallow yeah. i yeah. think you make a good point too i would say one of the must do's is just try stuff and i'm speaking to myself here because i really stress myself out about trying new things and still to this day i feel like if i have one sip of alcohol too many I will wake up with a raging hangover and be throwing up all day. Yeah, and who gives the fuck, though? You have to experience that. Here's the thing. That's a life experience you need you, so you can understand your limit. Like, I really do believe that. So, like, it's okay. Don't go crazy. Okay, my first piece of advice when trying substances, start small. Definitely. That's what I would say. Start smaller than you think because you can always have more. You can never have less. Yes, and if, if I'm giving any advice about marijuana or whatever – if you're wanting to start with an edible, because most people probably do, because that feels like the easiest, healthiest way to get into it, um, just know that it's a long, long experience, like hours, like three or four hours potentially, 
So start small. Do, yeah. Do like, do not take any more than five milligrams your first time. Start small. I mean, I would even say like less than five milligrams your first time and go to a dispensary. If you're in a legal state, go to a dispensary and um, ask them, say, hey, this is your first time. It's okay to be a noob. Just say, hey, this is my first say, I time. I grew up Mormon. I and then up- they'll say, what? And then you'll say, you can hear all about it on the Girls Camp podcast. Exactly, exactly. But hey, don't be afraid to like go to a bar and say, hey, I've never had a sip of alcohol before. Just own it. Just be like, don't, doesn't matter yeah what people people think. find it endearing i think they do. too yeah yeah i feel like that's a good point like you feel shy because you want to act like you know everything but people find it endearing it's not a big deal yeah you ask can your just, friends and, yeah, yeah just try a little bit i think that's smart i think start small i also think and i'm speaking to myself again here sometimes you have to keep trying stuff and this was is a weird thing because i thought like oh i hated alcohol when i first tried it like why would I keep trying alcohol and now I probably drink alcohol once a week maximum that's kind of how I feel about alcohol but now I actually really enjoy white wine I like the taste but I just had to try it enough times it's just acquired taste and I'm speaking to myself here because of the coffee thing because I know if I kept trying it I would like it but I'm choosing not to because I want to drink diet coke instead but I do think yeah, if you try a sip of alcohol or a sip of coffee, you're going to hate it, as anyone knows. So a lot of times it's just a matter of keep trying things, try different things. Yeah, for sure. I also will give a drink recommendation. If if you do go to a bar and um, or sit down to dinner somewhere and you like wondering what to order, my go-to drink is like a Moscow Mule. Mm. It's like a gingery beer mixed in with like vodka or gin and and with lime and like mint and it's just like refreshing it's nice it's you'll you'll be familiar with the flavor profile but you'll also taste the alcohol it's but it's a it's a great and it comes in like a nice little copper like cup yeah and, I like the moscow and it feels too. like exciting to drink and you um, keep saying a flavor profile fancy man Hey, I am a connoisseur. When you're talking about the Starbucks drinks, I'm like, ooh, flavor profile. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I am a little... A little fancy. Fancy. (laughs) I agree. I think Moscow mules are really yummy. I always get a white wine just because I know like just the amount I want to drink of white wine, which is a glass. And just drink a lot of water. I feel like if you drink water while you're drinking, if you're going to drink more than a drink, you'll just stay hydrated. And, and here's, here's the truth about hangovers. It's all, essentially, it comes from dehydration and so much sugar. And because and, alcohol is sugar and, and, um, and it's not hydrating at all. And so if you can get, like, if you're going to drink a lot, don't, and if you don't want a hangover, Drink shots. Just straight drink like straight shots. I actually like shots. Like shot of vodka or a shot of whiskey and or a shot of tequila if you want like something uppity. And drink water. I mean, really cocktails are just super high in sugar and you'll just like get it. You, that's just kinda make you feel if, sick. If you have multiple cocktails, then you'll likely wake up with a headache if you don't drink water. And so it's like so <laughs> just just know that like if you wanna like get smashed be careful with your sugar intake and drink a lot of water. And also don't mix. I would definitely try to like stick within like a 
alcohol um, category, like white liquors. If you're going to just, just drink straight, just white liquors all night. Don't drink a beer. Or just beer. Or yeah. just beer or just wine. Don't try to mix um, mix all that. Just because that, that'll help you have a better experience if you're going to have a lot of drinks. Not me drinking one shot and then drinking like a gallon of water. <laughs> That's literally you every single time you drink it. Have a sip of wine. You just have like your your Stanley. I have like cup. one sip of wine and then like half my Stanley and then another sip of wine. Which honestly, it's probably good. It's probably hey, getting yeah. hydrated. If if you have if you struggle drinking water like me, just drink it. Just take a shot of vodka and then and then drink, and then and then drink, drink all the water. <laughs> Hydration hack. Hydration. Um, this is a must do. Someone wrote in a must do for post Mormons. Take shots to the sacrament prayer. <laughs> holy shit oh god the eternal father. no do it in spanish oh dios padre eterno yeah i don't know maybe try that we could try that <laughs> i don't know i, I kind of don't want to <laughs> i can't believe this person's actually done this i mean i, I could see us I know, doing like, how it. how did you get to this point i could see us doing it frankly like if we were just like already a couple of drinks deep and yeah just, just like, like having for, a fun time with like funny but it's yeah i mean yeah go depend, you depending on yeah i mean um, someone says, someone wrote in as a must do and said, give signs and tokens to someone at a party, <laughs> preferably while high and drunk. Holy cow. I, this is probably like some people are probably, if there are any the active sacrilege. Mormons, yeah, the sacrilege of this, but I love giving the patriarchal grip to people. I just love it. Especially those who know, I just love sneaking it in and <laughs> And saying like little, little like phrases from the little temple. temple phrases. Have you seen the photo of, I think it's George Bush meeting Thomas Monson and they're doing the patriarchal grip. Masons. It's like probably on accident, but there is like a whole conspiracy around it because there's a photo of them like doing the patriarchal grip essentially. Yeah. And quickly for those who don't know, these are the, the like token signs and tokens are essentially like handshakes that you learn in the temple Yeah, hands that signs. you're not supposed to tell. Well, you're not supposed to show. I, I'm not quite sure actually if that is the case. I think it's like the combination between them all. You're not supposed to like reveal um, mm. them all together. You know what I a know. step of post-Mormonism is? That's an important step. Huh. Revealing your temple name. Oh my goodness. Some people still probably feel a little scared to do this. Oh, we felt scared to do this until... Semi-recently, yes. like maybe a year and a half ago, but like... But well out of the church, we were like... I think you knew mine because men know women's, but it took a long time for you to tell me yours mm -hmm. which kind of bugged me because i'm like yeah. well you know mine already yeah and that's actually such a funny story maybe for a different time of like me discovering just revealing it to my friend zach and and um realizing that our temple names were uh correspond really cor nicely yeah correspond really <laughs> nicely i uh, <laughs> yeah i guess i won't say it over here yeah we'll ask zach if we can share that story yeah. um okay let's talk about pajamas and underwear i'll start skims Skims, skims, skims. You're going to want skims pajamas, skims underwear. I have tried a lot of different brands of underwear, and I think those are the best. And skims pajamas are so comfy and sexy at the same time. I uh, second. Can you attest? The, sex. the sexiness. <laughs> I mean, it's not lingerie, but it's definitely soft and nice. Yeah, they're cute. Honestly, wearing pajamas to bed, what a joy and a blessing of post-Mormonism. <laughs> 
that girls and men too I don't know men maybe have cute pajama sets you just wear your underwear but just not wearing garments to sleep pajamas I didn't necessarily mind sleeping in garments yeah Yeah. well now you just sleep in your undies do you have any underwear suggestions for the male campers listening (sighs) frankly I would love you any recommendations. I have just like You haven't cycled. found your thing. No, I haven't. And uh, I need someone to just give me suggestions. So please. Tell us the best underwear for men. I'm open to boxers and briefs. But I'm not really into the whitey tidies. But that's what garments are. And you loved garments. I, I know, but I don't want them like... You liked garments because they were longer. They were long and I never got a wedgie. My <laughs> I get wedgies every few and you didn't in garments hours no because they were long enough oh but then you couldn't wear shorts then i couldn't wear shorts and so it's like okay do i go whitey tidies where i'll never get a wedgie yeah or do i just like i don't know i'm struggling all right well maybe we'll get some some good some good input on that um let's see let me see if there's any other must-haves must-dos dress super immodestly to mormon family events yes I second that. I don't know. I, I, I do feel like you've probably all seen like these memes. There's like this meme of like, like little video clip of this guy. Maybe it was on Mormon memes, actually. Norman memes um, of the guy who said, he's like, I'm drinking Mountain Dew past midnight. I don't give a shit. It's just like. You, it, we haven't the, talked about the swearing thing. Swearing is um, such a an important stage of leaving Mormonism. You don't have to swear to be like, like once you leave the church, but I think it's very important to realize that professional adults, like I worked at like an ad agency in San Francisco and the CEO who was like 55 would swear in company wide meetings. He would say fuck and like, and but he was just like so comfortable. Yeah, it's just not it's a just, big deal. It's just not a big deal if you swear. Mormons put so much emphasis on swear words. I think Christians at large do too. I had someone write in about that, just who's ex Christian. Someone wrote in and said like a must do of post Mormonism, cussing like a whole fucking lot. <laughs> oh, it's important. I think it's important that you learn to swear. And you, you're going to have to go through the, the grow, growth stages because you're going to learn, you, you're going to have to swear. It's to... literally imposter syndrome about swearing. Like I will still swear, say certain words around certain people. And I'm like, I feel imposter syndrome. Like I feel like everyone knows that was, that I never say that word. And I just said it. It's like, you have to get used to it. And, and also if you don't want to swear, you don't have you don't to have swear. To. It literally doesn't matter either way. I think it's just taking away power from certain words that were given so much unnecessary power, I think can be like a really cool step. And yeah, to your point, it's just like swearing is really not a big deal. So either way it's fine. Uh, And like, you'll learn, like you'll, you'll learn to censor yourself like around certain people and like, okay, out of respect or whatever with their children around the shirt, whatever you find your balance. But like, I think it's a really healing thing for me to be able to, Speak how I speak to you, Haley, or my friends around my mom. Yeah. I haven't really like cussed a lot, like said the F word in front of my dad, but I say it, say it in front of my mom. Yeah, your mom's and chill. And my mom's chill. Chill as fuck. <laughs> she really is. And I think that's an, was an important moment for me to be able to feel comfortable swearing in front of yeah. my parents and being completely who I am. I won't be saying the F word around my mom. 
Why not? I would say any other swear word, but not that word, I don't think. I would say the C word. <laughs> C word only. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. A lot of these stereotypes are we left because we want to sin. We only left so we could drink and smoke. That I just want to sin. Slippery slope fallacy. That I will become a raging alcoholic. <laughs> these are so interesting to me because as I was reading through these, I was thinking, yes, that's absolutely the stereotype of post-Mormons is that they just left because they want to sin. But the irony is we don't even think those things are, quote, sinning anymore. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. Like it's a chicken and egg situation where it's like, no, we don't think. I never thought as a Mormon, oh, I want to drink alcohol, a.k.a. sin, so I'm going to leave. I left or was leaving and was like, I don't think drinking alcohol is a sin, which is why I'm going to try it. If we left because we wanted to sin, that wouldn't make any sense because if we still thought those things were sins, we probably wouldn't want to do them. Yeah. We realize those things are not sins and then in leaving and then we did them because we didn't think they were sins you know totally all right i'm gonna read one more stereotype and then we have a few kind of straggler questions around this topic and one of them is about sex so just said that so people will keep listening (laughs) do you think it worked i mean you got me (laughs) (laughs) okay here's the stereotype i want to talk about quickly that we care so much about being post-mormon like truly it's the least interesting thing And then they followed up and said, that was not supposed to sound mean. I think people think we care more than we do. This is an interesting one as someone who has a post-Mormon podcast and a post-Mormon TikTok and Instagram and persona on the internet now. But I think this is an interesting thing to talk about because such a stereotype of post-Mormonism is that post-Mormons literally only care about their post-Mormonism, which A... If you do, that's super, super valid, at least for a time, however long that needs to be. And B, it's not true. (laughs) And I think being post-Mormon is so interesting because post-Mormonism informs so much of our lives, but it isn't our lives holistically. Does that make sense? So like, yes, Mm -hmm. there's things about post-Mormonism that show up every day, but it's not like our whole life is built around the fact that we're post-Mormons. Totally. It's quite literally, in a lot of ways, sure, it's it's still very much a part of our lives, like it was while we were in the church. But here's the thing. It's our story. It's a huge part of our story. And it's important to not forget your story because that story is important. And and it informs your your art. It informs your your perspective it's your perspective on the world Mm -hmm. and that is your unique offering that like a lot of the world doesn't have totally and those who are judging that are the the one the ones in the church are the mormons oh they 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 leave the church but they can't leave it alone well you're only saying that because it's like oh you're in the church but you can't leave it alone too well that's the greatest (sighs) irony of all time is like what Mormon is not so deeply defined by their Mormonism, myself included. I don't think it's even, I'm not even trying to say it's a good or bad thing, but obviously Mormons get to identify as Mormon, but all of a sudden post-Mormons don't get to identify as post-Mormon. It's a double standard. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And the last thing- Fuck those people. The last, (laughs) okay, there you go. Uh, The last thing I want to say on this one is 
I actually think it's really interesting. That's where I differ from this writer in when they said it's the least interesting thing. I see what they're saying in the sense that there's so much more about us as human beings and this post-Mormon thing is just part of all these things. But I actually think post-Mormonism is endlessly fascinating and funny and makes a big difference in how we live our lives outside of Mormonism. And I think it's really interesting personally. And that's why I started a podcast. <laughs> I love to talking to no, Nevermos about my. Oh, they it's, fucking love it. They love it. It's so and I interesting. love I love talking about it because I said I feel important. Oh, it's the best party trick of all time. It really is, and so own it. Yeah, I think don't so too. be afraid. Don't be afraid to like sh- let people know that you're posting. Yeah, if you want to, and that's the thing. If it doesn't feel like a big deal or a big part of you, great. That's totally fine. If it does, great. Yeah, there's no right way. Yeah, but to, uh, yeah, anyways. Okay, the last sex question, which I teased just minutes ago, is, I think, interesting when we're talking about post-Mormon stuff. This person asked, get into the dirty details of Mormon sex life. What does a Mormon's sex life even look like? And I want to talk about this in regards to what our sex life was like as Mormons versus what it's like as post-Mormons because I read this question and I've been thinking about it and I realize our sex life has changed actually a lot, maybe more than we realized. Yeah. What do you think? (laughs) It definitely has. I think it's become, um, in a lot of ways, I think I've, we both realized that a lot of our sexuality is personal, but also very much, together if that makes sense i think that yeah yeah we've we've realized the value of learning ourselves sexually because we've only ever really explored our sexuality with each other so i think that's been part of it and i'll just not mince words like i think masturbation is something that we didn't do before that we now have incorporated into our marriage which is something we do individually yeah which we have certain like you know, that requires communication and we've talked a lot about it, but I think that that's been really beneficial for us as individuals and as sexual partners. Yeah, I think so too. And in a lot of ways it, it's, um, it takes off a lot of like the pressure, I think for both of us in some ways. And that's not to say that it, like it could also, I don't know. It's like with everything you can't, you don't, you, everything in moderation, like to use a Mormon phrase, I think it's important to to, to check yourself and to always like be checking in with yourself and your, but also in your marriage. Mm-hmm. I think we've become much more communicative in our marriage about our sex mm-hmm. life. It's been more of a conversation We're we're slowly starting to explore different, um, interests or kinks or whatever it is. Are we? Um, exploring kinks. I don't know. Like, you know, daddy or whatever. <laughs> Okay, you can't not say that. You'll cut it out, but I'm just saying, like, why? what if I kept it in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like you you start to explore like what what you like. Yeah, more. there's more freedom, and I think that's what I realized when I read this question: is a Mormon sex life, at least ours, speaking for ourselves and maybe our friends that we've talked to some of the stuff about. I think is fairly vanilla. Oh, for sure. And I think leaving Mormonism 
you feel you can explore things more, even the way you talk to each other during sex. It just feels like more is on the table in a way that's fun and sexy and exciting. So I would say our sex life has gotten better and spicier and more exciting. And I also think that there's levels of shame that we've been able to shed in our post-Mormon sex life that we didn't even realize were still present in our married Mormon sex life. For sure. For sure. I like feel, I feel, I feel just, I feel like it's just been a very healthy thing because at least if you're open and honest, um, you start to, um, feel validated or I don't know, allowing yourself to feel certain ways or have certain urges or do whatever it is. Like you're just, it's just freedom. You said it best. It's just more freedom and less chains to what, again, what someone else defined for you. Yeah. Arbitrary rules and guilt and shame. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Let's do a whole sex episode because there's a lot to talk about with sex. I actually want to have a sex therapist on too and talk about all of that. But I think the sex stuff, masturbation, pornography, Sex life as post-Mormons is a whole topic in and of itself, but I wanted to touch on it because it's it's salacious. Whatever that word means. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to wrap it up there. That's our post-Mormon starter pack. Kind of a mixed bag episode, but I had a good time. Yeah, it was great. That I'm, was lots to talk about. Lots I'm to grateful get into. to be here. Thank you for the third episode. You know, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. Follow Bentley on Instagram. At Bentley Rawl. At Bentley Rawl. He's showing his work. Lots to see over there. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everyone. So, so happy you're here. Can't wait to talk next week. Hope you had a wonderful 4th of July yesterday if you're a United States listener. Hope you had some fun celebrations. And just as always, so, so glad you're here. So glad you're part of the camper community. Crack a cold one for me. Crack a cold one for Bentley. And for yourself. And for yourself. Have a wonderful week. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.